winter is coming. So grab a blanket and some headphones because Televisionary's covering Game of Thrones. So I feel like I'm also excited because I am really excited to talk about this show today. I mean, everybody already knows what it is because they clicked on the episode, but... I mean, what if they don't, though? What if they can't read? I don't think you should just assume that all of our listeners can read, Elena. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't just assume that people can read. They could download an app without having any idea what it is and somehow just type some letters in on their keyboard and get directed to our podcast, like the picture, click on it, and be listening to it. Yeah, I mean, you think of all of those celebrities who have like lost all of their money because they would sign contracts without reading them because they couldn't. Yeah, could you na- name <laughs> One of those I'm thinking of some of them right now, but uh, but I can't name them for for privacy purposes, not because I don't know who they are, you know. Oh, yes, yes, of course. So if you haven't read uh, and have no idea, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones today. Okay, I think that's enough. (laughs) I love the Game of Thrones theme song. It is catchy. It's, I like the little animation that happens. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you noticed, we don't have to talk about this a lot, but it did change over time. I did not notice, but that's just because I was watching the show like pretty quickly at the Mm -hmm. end at least and was just skipping the intro most of the time because it's like in a minute and a half long it's like it's very long if i watch the intro for every episode of this show that's like an hour and 40 minutes or something of my life that i've wasted watching this opening sequence like i don't need to watch an entire movie's length of opening sequence Well, they do update it. Uh, I think especially later on as locations change, they will Mm. only show like the locations being featured in that episode. I don't know if they were doing that from the beginning, but it is something I noticed over time. And I thought that was a nice little detail. Yeah. So you have finished the series then? I have, yes. Okay, so for Game of Thrones, I had started watching right before the eighth season started airing because I knew it was the kind of show that I wanted to watch, but I wanted to watch all of it at once. Mm -hmm. I did not want to have to like take breaks between seasons. So I just waited until I knew the eighth season, you know, the final season was about to premiere. And I was like, I'm just going to binge it all at once. And, you know, then it'll all be out and I won't have to wait a long time. I got through... I think halfway through the second season and I just couldn't do it anymore. Like I was sick of waiting for it to be good. I was sick of waiting after waiting for it to be something that I wanted to watch and that didn't make me viscerally uncomfortable and it just wasn't happening. So I quit. But <laughs> because the show was so popular, I couldn't shake this idea of like what was I missing that everybody else in the world was, you know, keyed into. And so I always kind of thought that I might revisit it one day, but I knew I would have to be in the mood for it. And I got to a point a 
couple of months ago where I felt like I was probably in the mind space where I could handle it. Mm-hmm. And I did just binge the whole way through. I will say I did not like the show. It is not my kind of show. But I, there were certain parts of it that I liked better than other parts. I would not watch it again. I will say that. But I didn't absolutely hate all of it. Well, I'm glad you weren't just hating every single second of it by the end. And I think it's interesting <laughs> that you that you say that you so strongly disliked it because primarily because of the content of the show. Yes. I haven't really heard anyone else say that ever, but I'm sure that there have to be other people out there like you. I mean, I would think so, but I look at the viewership numbers for the show and it makes me (laughs) wonder (laughs) um, like how it was so wildly popular when it really like, I just couldn't stand watching anymore the first time I tried. I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird. But, I mean, I am. But Well, yes, you are. (laughs) But I think I have a couple theories about about why people connected with it so much. But I liked it. I mean, I loved the first season. I watched all of it in one night Hmm. with a friend of mine from college. We stayed up all night and watched all of it. And I think, yeah, I think he thought that it was going to be more of like a romantic thing. But then I was so enthralled by the show that like we literally just sat next to each other and watched the show for however many hours that would have been. (laughs) And maybe we didn't finish like the last couple episodes. Maybe it was like six or seven or something like that. I don't actually don't even know how many are in the first season, but I guess it doesn't really matter. But we probably didn't watch all of them. But yeah, I watched the first season I really loved it and then I actually fell off of the show too in like season two I just like didn't find it nearly as interesting as season one and it took me years to finally come back to the show and watch like two three four five and then I watched the last two seasons in real time as they aired on TV. So I had like caught up by season seven and then just watched on TV, which was really great. It aired on Sunday nights. And like back then I worked early in the morning. This is way too much information, but I would get off at like 2 p.m. And then I would know that I would be watching Game of Thrones later. So I'd like be all excited all evening, make a frozen pizza and like sit down and watch the show. So yeah, I don't know. I liked it. Looking back, it's a show that every once in a while I get the urge to watch an episode because I just think it's so fun to like visually watch but it is definitely not one of my top five or ten or even 15 favorite shows of all time well for a lot of people it is one of those (laughs) high-ranking shows so we are just a couple of naysayers maybe (laughs) not seeing what (laughs) the rest of the world may see and That's okay. We both recognize that it is. I feel like the best way to describe it before we like actually explain what it is about is that it is like the last show that I think united like everyone, if that makes sense. Yeah, there is no denying that it is one of the most influential television shows of all time for a couple of reasons, I think, which we will get into. So let's get into a little overview of the show, shall we? Let's. So I feel like most people probably know that the show Game of Thrones is based on a book series by George R.R. Martin called A Song of Ice and Fire. A book series is not complete. I think there were maybe five 
books out, like four or five out at the time that the show started production. And there was a certain point at which the show started to outpace the release of the books. Um, So there are still two books, I think, that have not been finished and released as of 2021. Yeah. With no apparent time frame for their completion. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not before George R.R. Martin dies, who knows. But anyway, the show kind of had to feel their own way to the ending instead of relying on what the actual vision from the author was for the show. So the story takes place in a fictional world that's probably Earth, but uh, to my knowledge, I don't remember it ever actually being called Earth. Do Mm -hmm. you? No, they never specify. Yeah, so like all of the lands and the place names in the series are fictional, but certain cultural norms and languages and plants and animals very much mimic those of Earth. But then there are also some people with supernatural abilities that aren't explained. There are fantastical creatures like dragons and giants and an army of skeletons and sentient beings that are made of pure ice. Um, I mean, a a lot of these things don't super duper make sense. There aren't like a whole lot of rules, but that's kind of the fun of it. I think like it allows you to fill in some of those blanks with your own imagination. And I think that's what people look for in a fantasy show. They don't need everything spelled out as to like, here is the biological science behind why this person (laughs) is able to, you know, rip a face off of her face it's just like okay you'll we'll just go with it (laughs) (laughs) yes i was just gonna say one thing i saw today is that george rr martin kind of designed the series as a counterpoint to more popular like fantasy works of the time so like a lot of the fantasy that was being written in like the 90s was very happy-go-lucky and everyone's super wise and great and life is so good and he was like that's not how medieval times were so he sort of Mm -hmm. blended the darkness of like the actual medieval kind of renaissance era with fantasy elements and so created what is game of thrones which is this super dark world where also there is all of this magic and like high fantasy classic fantasy stuff happening and I feel like if you haven't seen the show that's really all you need to know it's a fantasy story that was a good explanation of it I think because it is not like it is a little bit different than a lot of other fantasy and time period kind of shows it blends a lot of different things together and it also has a lot of interesting complex character dynamics and stuff which probably stems from the fact that there are like 8,000 characters on the show (laughs) but anyway so the show aired on HBO for 73 episodes and that would be spread out over eight seasons starting in 2001 2001 2011 to 2019. And during that time, it garnered a ton of Emmy Awards. It got 59 Emmy Awards, which was a record for a drama series. It won Outstanding Drama Series four times, which is a tie for most in that category with a few other shows, Hill Street Blues, LA Law, which neither, I've never heard of either of those, The West Wing, and Mad Men. I've never watched Hill Street Blues or LA Law, but those were like the big hit dramas back in like I want to say the 80s late 80s early 90s maybe I don't remember exactly when they were on but I'm surprised you've never heard of them (laughs) Hill Street Blues was a cop show LA Law was you'll never guess was it about lawyers a law show (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
it was a courtroom kind of show. Yeah, but I, I do find it funny that Game of Thrones got all of this attention from the Emmys. I don't think they won a single Golden Globe, which, like, we all know now the Golden Globes are kind of in the toilet, but mm-hmm. it seems like a show that is so up the Golden Globes alley because there's, like, a bunch of naked people on it and, like, people talking in different accents and stuff. Like, that's what the Golden Globes live for. And... um <laughs> But, like, for them to have ignored the show as much as they did is kind of surprising to me. It's also surprising to me that so many of the actors and actresses received nominations for acting in the show. Because Mm. other than maybe, like, Peter Dinklage, I really don't think, especially, like, some of the women, like, no offense, but, like, I just didn't think that they were all that good. But some of that, I think, is maybe just the roles that they were playing as being these fantasy roles, but I don't know. In spite of that, the show did set viewership records for HBO. Each subsequent season of the show hit new live viewership marks for the show. So for season seven, an average of 32.8 million viewers watched each episode across all platforms and for season eight i couldn't find an average for each episode but the series finale was watched live on hbo by 19.3 million people which was a record for any show you know in its first live airing on the actual hbo network i also couldn't find a total across all platforms for the series finale but it had to have blown up like the 32.8 million average for the previous season out of the water, I'm guessing. So I wanted to point out that the show not only set viewership records for HBO, but it also set pirating records. So this is something I remember seeing a lot whenever I first started watching the show. So it like flagged in my mind when I was researching for this. And I saw that for its season eight premiere, it was pirated over 55 million times. And I also saw earlier today that one estimated figure is that the entire run of season eight was pirated over 1 billion times, which is insane. And a lot of those are, um, are like countries overseas. I think India is its most pirated. It's most pirated in India. And some of that is not like illegal downloads. Some of that is people like piggybacking on like HBO Max or whatever, like Mm. using their friend's account. But still, that is an insane amount of people accessing this show illegally. Yeah, like these viewership numbers were records just like for the people who are actually paying for them, like if you take into account all of these other people who are not paying but still watching the show, like I I can't think of another show in the last decade that has had that kind of reach. Like there's, I don't think there's anything that touches it, right? No, not at all. And I think HBO, like weirdly enough from what I saw, was not even that upset by this. They Hmm. said that like illegal, like, illegal viewing of the show or like pirating of the show ended up causing more people to eventually just subscribe to HBO. So Mm. I thought that was an interesting take on that. But also they did do some things to kind of try to curb this. I think that they started in season, I want to say season five, they started releasing the season simultaneously across all countries so that there would be like less of a reason for people to pirate things early. But yeah, I don't know, just a, a weird thing. And it seems to be that everything I read shows that like illegally pirating stuff is is growing every 
year since yeah like game of thrones so it is kind of an interesting thing yeah and i think that makes sense too because now you have this proliferation of streaming services and a lot of people don't want to subscribe to all of them (laughs) so Mm -hmm. they will just kind of pirate whatever you know good shows each one has and you know it's unfortunate but i feel like you know networks have kind of come to expect that that's just the world that we live in unfortunately Um, one thing that i did want to point out that i just thought was interesting i was looking at the ratings for each episode of the show and i saw that the least watched episode when you're just looking at the live viewership numbers so the number of people actually tuning in on sunday night at nine to watch the show on hbo the least watched episode was the second episode of the series so episode two of season one viewership total was only about twenty thousand viewers less than the premiere and i think that like that shows you know just how much the show grew over time of course but i had also looked at other hbo shows that kind of had a similar trajectory and so not all of them exactly parallel that and a lot of those shows that i'm thinking about sort of peaked maybe around like season three or four or even earlier than that and then kind of petered off but like the sopranos and true detective and westworld true blood all grew steadily throughout their first season and mostly into subsequent seasons and i think like i was trying to think of why that might be the case for a lot of these hbo shows and that's really rare for like network and cable shows a lot of them have a really front-loaded premiere and then you know just kind of fall off over time and i think it's it must just be because hbo probably cares more about marketing shows in the long run than they do trying to get a giant audience right away because yeah like hbo does not have to run ads so they only care that people are subscribing to their service so that they can watch the show at some point. They don't necessarily care if it's from minute one of the first episode. With a network show or a cable show, you're making decisions on whether to keep the show going based on the ratings that it's bringing in. So if you're paying all this money to produce the show and it has a really lackluster premiere and it is not reaching the viewership numbers that you were planning for whenever you were trying to sell ads for it, then people are not, the advertisers are not going to pay to put their ads on that show. So a network is more likely to cancel it after like four or five episodes if it's not doing anything than to give it time to grow and to like really give it a push. So it's just interesting to me that, you know, HBO is so willing to stick with a lot of shows and i think of a show like betty on hbo which i love and which i talked about in a minisode last season it's a show that got like zero viewership (laughs) for its first season it was (laughs) like it was not popular but they still gave it a second season because one it was cheap to produce and two there's a chance that it can continue to grow over time and a network never would have given it that chance so absolutely like hbo for you know being able to do that and i don't really know why i went on that money trail that doesn't have a whole lot to do with anything but i think game of thrones is the best example of this is what i'm trying to say <laughs> definitely and as you were talking i was just thinking about the last few hbo shows that i did watch so like mayor of east town hacks and i really want to watch white lotus and or the white lotus or whatever and all of those shows like i started watching well into their first season of like Mm -hmm. releasing stuff and i mean part of that's just because things gain traction online but it 
makes so much sense the way that you said that, that like HBO just has less of a reason to care about that initial viewership. And that is what makes them awesome. Kind of going on with that, of whether they are actually awesome or just just have a really great business model, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I have an interesting question, I think, that we can ponder. So there have been various prequel slash continuation series of the Game of Thrones story that have been reported as being in various stages of development since Game of Thrones finished airing. Only one of those shows has actually been officially announced. It is called House of the Dragon, and it is scheduled to premiere in 2022. Um, at one point, as many as five spinoffs were in development, but HBO has reportedly decided not to move forward with many or any but one of those. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered, do you think this is a good move on HBO's part? Because there obviously would be an audience for these shows, even if they're bad, just because of the Game of Thrones brand. But like, is their willingness to pass on them a sign of like reverence for the Game of Thrones story and not wanting to create something that doesn't live up to the original? Or are they just hesitant to greenlight a show that is also going to be very expensive and may not ever match the original's quality and its, you know, financial returns. Well, I don't think that it has anything to do with reverence for the original show. If anything, I think it's kind of the opposite of that. So, like, obviously there's still a ton of people who love Game of Thrones. Like, HBO knows that there is that fan base there, but when they originally were like pitching these projects that was 2016 and then they were announced to the public in 2017 and now I know that they're only moving forward with one at this point but when that happened that would have been in like season six season seven of the show when the show was still growing in popularity with essentially each episode if not Mm -hmm. each episode each season I think a lot changed after the finale which we will talk about more in depth later but The finale was just so poorly received by a lot of people. I found a great research study that had been done that said 34% of people did not like the ending of the show. And that was like, I think it was 24% mostly didn't like it. And then like 10% didn't like it at all. So a 34% essentially, that's a third of the fan base that might just be completely turned off by the series because of the way it ended and might not come back because they know that the payoff might not be there, even though it would be a completely new show. I just feel like If you didn't like the way the first one ended and you invested all of this time, I mean, some of the episodes were so long. (laughs) And like you said in the beginning, the investment in the theme song alone was like (laughs) that of a feature length film. So if you invest all that time and there's no payoff, why would you come back just to be disappointed again? And I think that that's how I feel. And I think that that's how probably a lot of people feel. And I think, yeah, like HBO knows they still have two thirds of people who will probably watch it. But... Like, why Greenlight 5 when you've already alienated fans? You know what I mean? And time has passed, too. So it's just not as fresh in people's minds. I think it's like a a pure business move. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think you are probably right. I, I, hmm, what am I trying to say? So I saw somewhere that HBO said they did not lose as many subscribers after HBO or after Game of Thrones ended as they thought they would. They actually, mm-hmm. you know, ended up holding on to a lot of the uh, people who had only subscribed to HBO for 
Game of Thrones. So I just wonder how many of those people they still have. And with the launch of HBO Max, they've gained a lot more new subscribers to their service that they wouldn't have had before. So in a way, it would make sense to me for them to just greenlight everything Game of Thrones related and see what sticks. But I think you are right that there's probably enough people who might still subscribe to HBO, but don't care for the Game of Thrones content anymore that feel betrayed in some way by an ending that they consider to be egregious or unrealistic or whatever. I I do think it probably is just a financial decision of them not wanting to pour all of this money into something that they just don't know how it's going to be received. I, I know that they did produce a full pilot for one of these spinoffs that they ultimately passed on, and I'm guessing that must just be because the quality wasn't there. I Naomi Watts was the star of that pilot, so it like it had some, you know, star yeah. power behind it. I I don't know what the actual story was or anything, but it doesn't seem like it was something that maybe had as broad appeal as the original show did. Whereas something like House of the Dragon, the one that has been produced and will be coming out, it probably is a little bit more in line with what Game of Thrones itself was. But I yeah, I think it's probably just them being a little more careful with their money just because I'm sure the HBO Max cost them a lot to launch too and I don't know (laughs) how much they're like how in line the actual subscriber numbers are with what they were predicting for that but they probably figure they don't want to accidentally bankrupt themselves (laughs) by pouring a bunch of money into shows that they don't know will succeed when they could be trying a bunch of other things that people might respond a little more positively to. I guess that's my thought on it. That makes sense to me. Well, let's talk about some of the important moments of the show. And I feel like there are a decent amount. Also, Mm -hmm. I like that you wrote in here, beware of spoilers. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) If you have not watched Game of Thrones and you intend to, now would be a good time to turn off this episode. We normally would never, ever tell you to yeah. turn off one of our episodes, but we don't. <laughs> we know that Game of Thrones is the kind of show that people, you know, have a, a visceral reaction to hearing spoilers for if they have not watched oh the show. Gosh. I mean, you've had enough time, though, so, like... It's been like, what, over two years, almost three years since the finale came out. So like, just go watch the show if you're going to watch the show. But yeah, and also just maybe don't turn us off. Just put us on mute so we get those uh, full listens of the episode. Yeah, there we go. There we go. That's a good idea. (laughs) Yes, just turn us, turn the volume down, but leave us playing in the background. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to take this first point? Sure. So the pilot episode, um, I think is... A pretty, uh, I don't know if I'm overstating this, but I think it is a landmark television episode, if I'm going to be honest. Because from the get-go, Game of Thrones established itself as a show that was not going to follow the rules, whatever that means. You've got incest. You've got child (laughs) harm. You've got all of these crazy sets and costumes and tons of extras. Like this is, it's very obvious from the first episode that this is not the kind of show that we have seen before. And one of the things that I mentioned, you know, was, well, the two big things, incest and child harm. There is a long-standing adage in Hollywood 
that no harm shall befall a child. You know, there's just this idea that violence or horrible suffering involving children was a line that could not be crossed in mainstream media. And Game of Thrones has, in the Game of Thrones pilot, you have Jamie Lannister pushing 10-year-old Bran Stark out of a window, almost to his death, to keep mm-hmm. the kid from telling anyone that he saw Jamie Pork and his sister. Like, there is no bolder way to cross that line. <laughs> and on top of that, it's not like HBO was nobly taking a stand for all of those people who wanted to see more incest on television. It's like, there was no one just clamoring. Like, give us more incest, please! Why aren't there any good shows with incest on anymore? As you were talking about that, I'm sorry, I remembered something that I really, really wanted to look up about this point so we may have to cut this it'll be up to you but okay after game of thrones hit the airwaves there was a huge spike in incest porn online in since 2011 that genre of porn alone has grown by 1000 percent that's so nuts (laughs) and there are are people out there who attribute this rise, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> to <laughs> Game of Thrones? I mean, it makes sense. Twenty fourteen alone had a twenty fourteen alone a hundred and seventy eight percent increase in searches. <laughs> um, That's sorry. Unreal. It's unreal, and you know what? Maybe an unintended consequence of the show. We'll never know for sure. I mean, I would say so. I I can't say that any other shows that I'm aware of were really following <laughs> Game of Thrones' lead. They, you know, they took the charge on bringing about the incest revolution on television, <laughs> and no one else followed. <laughs> so, I think that Game of Thrones probably can proudly wear that crown of you know, the reason for (laughs) the spike in incest porn. But in all seriousness, (laughs) taking us back on track. So you're totally right in that this first episode was a landmark episode and really did set such a strong tone for the kind of show that it was going to be. And it just makes me think, like, I feel like we've talked about this a million times before in season one, but there's this idea in my mind of, like, when are we going to reach, like, the threshold of what people are going to watch? And, like, I feel like Game of Thrones proves that that threshold is so high because I think... yeah. Like, the market right now is so saturated with content that one way to get people to click on your show is to just be shocking. And Mm -hmm. what is more shocking than breaking the adage of Hollywood or whatever you want to call it, the golden rule of not harming a child in your first episode? And it's a brutal death. Mm -hmm. Well, he doesn't die. It's a brutal loss of legs and when you watch it you think he's dead <laughs> i i mean the show itself maybe can't take full credit for it because this is a storyline from the books too you know i don't know right where i don't know if like it's early on in the books that the events of that pilot happen yeah it is the i would say the first i would say the first two books follow the plot of the first two seasons almost exactly mm. 
Okay. So like the pacing is pretty much the same. Yeah. Anyway, hmm. continue. We move later in season one from that attempted murder of a young boy to the actual death of that young boy's father, Ned Stark, <laughs> uh, who is a central character for the entire first season. You kind of assume that all of the action going forward in the series is going to be, or at least most of the action is going to be centering around him. And at mm-hmm. the end of the next to last episode of the season, he gets beheaded by a temperamental boy queen. <laughs> he's not a queen. He's a king, but he's a drama queen, I guess. He is a drama queen. <laughs> I just, uh, King Joffrey is the teen boy's name. And I just hate him. Oh, yeah. I just, I can't, I think he was such a big reason why I didn't get through the show the first time. Because he just annoyed me so much. I feel so bad for that actor. He is, like, so hated. And, like, (laughs) fans are not nice to him sometimes because his character is so awful. Yep, and I I don't know if he's been in anything since the show. Like, I can't think of him having been in anything. Like, it might have just stained him forever. Forever. But, I know. Oh, well. But anyway, Ned Stark dying, once again, proves that the show is not playing by any earlier established TV rules. Mm-hmm. They are definitely abiding by this idea that no character is safe and no action was off limits in the show's adherence to the books to the source material and i think that's really brave because you know it's you on tv there is this idea that you are building these storylines to take place over several seasons and you are trying to create these characters that people will root for and will want to turn in will want to tune in to see over multiple seasons and when you kill a major character pretty unexpectedly in your first season, you run the risk of alienating viewers, of, you know, making them say, oh, I, why did they do that? That's really frustrating because I liked that person and then losing interest. <laughs> but that definitely did not happen in the case of Game of Thrones. If anything, it made people more interested, I think, in wanting to see what this show was going to do next, where it was going to go, what line was it going to cross that other shows hadn't crossed before. Yeah, and then I would say it does this again. It doubles down in season three with mm-hmm. the Red Wedding, where several characters are killed and in a pretty brutal fashion. And I would say that this is also the point where spoilers became just such an issue with this show. I just like no one wanted to talk about the Red Wedding because (laughs) of all of the deaths that happened. I know Catelyn, Caitlyn, Catelyn. Catelyn dies. (laughs) Rob Stark's wife, Rob, Rob Stark as well right Mm -hmm. a lot of people a lot of people die a lot of people that you had been invested in for three seasons already you know like these are people who are really driving the story and all of a sudden those stories end and that's shocking as a viewer and it might be frustrating Um, but i will say personally i don't think i started liking the show until the red wedding i think red wedding for me trimmed some fat i'm not gonna lie yeah 
I think it got rid of some stories that I just did not care all that much about and gave them more time to focus on the stories that I thought were a little more interesting. People like Arya and people like, what's her name? Gwen Christie. Brienne. Uh, Brienne, yes. She's my favorite character. How did I forget her name? But like, you have more time to explore other characters that until then had, you know, been in kind of a backseat. And mm-hmm. I, I like that they brought them to the forefront in that way. I agree. I also just wanted to comment and say that for a show so concerned about spoilers, like these books had been around for so long. <laughs> That's so true. We knew the Red Wedding was coming. Like, even if you didn't read the books, that information was out there in the world. <laughs> like, how can you get upset? by people spoiling stuff for you and i remember seeing videos of people who had read the books and knew you know what was coming in that episode and would film their friends watching the show like film their reaction (laughs) to everyone that they loved and cared about on the show being slaughtered and like Mm -hmm. it's if you really really had to know what was going to happen in the story you could just read but Then again, I guess we can't assume that everyone knows how to read. Going back to what I was saying earlier. (laughs) Already been established. (laughs) Well, I mean, they only adhered to the books until around season six, because in Mm -hmm. season six, they began to outpace the novels. And I think most viewers and critics would agree that this is where the series starts to decline in quality, despite George R.R. Martin informing them of how the series was going to end right i think he provided them with like a general outline of what he was planning to do with all of the characters and the producers and writers worked from that in developing the storylines but given the mostly negative reaction to especially the final season who knows if george rr R. martin will stick with the original <laughs> plan he had because Maybe no one would read the books if he does. The final season had a large amount of underwhelm from the fan base of the show. And a lot of the longtime viewers actually got angry <laughs> uh, that the, you know, their favorite character storylines were, you know, they felt mishandled. That characters were doing things that either didn't make sense or that were kind of anticlimactic or were totally out of character for the person i think especially of there's uh, i think the third episode of maybe the final season where there's an entire episode of just a i think it's called the long night a battle Mm -hmm. sequence you know over the course of the entire episode and at the end Arya stark happens to jump onto the army of the dead night king and kill him and then the entire rest of the army just dies too and uh, so many people were just like what (laughs) like like, how does that even work another example in the next to last episode when daenerys targaryen khaleesi if you will khaleesi if you're nasty um goes psycho killer and burns down all of king's landing with her dragon killing presumably hundreds of thousands of people, Mm -hmm, which is a mm -hmm. pretty interesting reaction for a queen that had before that labeled herself as, you know, someone who sets the people free. (laughs) Someone who, you know, sees the value in all people and does not allow slaves to 
walk free or continue serving in allegiance to her for giving them her freedom, giving them their freedom. Also, in the final episode, Bran Stark is named the ruler of the Six Kingdoms. He's kind of a main character at some points in the show, but like he's enough of a background character and really not exciting in yeah. any way, enough that a lot of people were disappointed and just felt let down because he wasn't someone that was seen as kind of being a strong ruler. He wasn't someone that was you know, ever considered to be a viable choice for the king. And I feel like he, that is the kind of thing, that point, especially Bran becoming leader in a book, I think that you could build to that in a much better way. And just like remembering what I do from having read the books that I did, like, I feel like you get a little bit more of the Bran story, but it's just kind of hard to show on TV. And Mm -hmm. so I think that early on i mean maybe george rr R. martin didn't even know at the start of the series so his storylines were probably minimized and then you get to the end and it's like oh wait he does have to be the ruler okay let's like make this happen <laughs> i feel like if you were reading that on paper it might have built in a different way but it did just feel like this not totally out of left field but kind of out of left field just unsatisfying ending you know what i think i i'm no one is asking for my opinion on this but you know who i think should have been the ruler of the six kingdoms who someone whose name i forgot earlier my favorite character brienne of tarth (laughs) i feel like she would have been such a more satisfying choice because she's like a noble character who's like good and like yeah she kills people but only like in allegiance to her king or queen like she's duty above all else and her duty should have been to lead the six kingdoms i mean honestly anyone would have been better than bran and <laughs> that's true that's that is definitely a good point so anyway all of those plot points that I mentioned were especially the subject of vocal objection from fans. There were actually hundreds of thousands of people who signed petitions online for rewrites or reshoots of the final season. It just strikes me as so weird. I mean, I I get it if you're dissatisfied with the way that the show ended, but at a certain point, like, you're just a consumer of the show. You don't have ownership over it. You cannot dictate what happens if that's really the best way that the producers could come up with and the writers could come up with to end the show. Then maybe you just have to trust that that was actually the best solution. That maybe there was no good solution. <laughs> uh, but I'm yeah. curious to get your take on it, Elena. I don't know if you think that this reaction was just a result of fans not getting what they wanted out of the conclusion of the series or if... They were justified in claiming that these actions were out of character, that the writers didn't know what they were doing, that the storylines were improbable or ill-explained, and that there could have been more satisfying resolutions to these characters' journeys. Well, I had two big thoughts here on this. So one, I think it was a bad ending that was made worse by a bad fan base. Mm. I think that the show kind of reached its popularity 
in it there the show's popularity coincided with like the popularity of like reddit meme culture mm-hmm. and i think it just all sort of fueled into each other you know the the two fed each other and created this like monstrous fan base and i'm not the only person that thinks the fan base is toxic i know after the finale george r r martin talked a lot about how toxic the fans were i know that the two creators of the show Benioff and Weiss, I think, are their last names. They were attached to the Star Wars trilogy and ended up leaving partially from what I was reading because they know that Star Wars fans are also super critical and toxic. And then after the reaction to the finale, it just didn't make sense. There's way more to it than that. That's just one aspect of it. But my second main point is that I remember in our American Idol episode, we discussed whether or not voting in American Idol increased like voter turnout for political elections. I think even if it didn't do that, it definitely influenced people thinking that they could just petition to have a show rewritten. Oh, yeah. Like having show so much like reality TV where people actually are invested in the outcome, I think gave people license to say, I didn't like the way this show ended. So let's start a petition for a redo of the final season if that makes sense. Oh yeah, it does make sense. And that's not something that I had even considered, but I think you are so right that at this point, people are used to just being able to dictate what they see on television to a certain extent. And for them to not have that opportunity with Game of Thrones and to have that, especially on a show that is shrouded in such secrecy and that had such high stakes I guess for producing a final season that was going to be satisfying I think fans just built up in their heads that the season was going to blow their minds and that it was going to give them everything that they wanted and you can't always get everything that you want and we are in a world now where we kind of believe that we can we have so much at our fingertips we can customize everything in our lives we can look up any bit of information about anything on the internet anytime we want. And we can, you know, do whatever kind of stuff we want in virtual reality now. Like, we can have every part of our lives be exactly the way that we want it to be. And we can do things the way that we want them to be done. And there's just something frustrating, I think, about having things turn out differently than you thought they were going to and not having any control over it. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's a little bit deeper than I was kind of <laughs> planning to go <laughs> into this conversation. But uh, I, I think that's true, that it absolutely rolls over into television too, because we want to see things turn out the way that we expected them to, the way that we feel that they should. And, you know, they don't always on TV or in real life. And sometimes we just need to get over that and get used to it. (laughs) Hard truths with Cody. That's right. (laughs) Telling the truth. (laughs) T-R-O-O-T-H. Our new segment here at the Televisionary Podcast. I don't know why I spelled it like that. (laughs) Um, Can we take a bathroom break and then get into the impact we sure can i need more water anyway okay wonderful be right back i'm gonna stop recording okay thanks for listening to televisionary if you like what you heard share this episode with a friend you can follow us on instagram at televisionary podcast and don't forget to rate review and subscribe wherever you listen bye